Hi, everyone, and welcome. Uh, this is JJ Hornblast, your host for this episode of The Roadmap from Auto Finance News since 1996, the nation's leading news source on automotive lending and leasing. This is our weekly wrap for what's happening in auto finance for the week of October 19, 2020. I want to thank, first off, our advertisers for their support and they are Alpha, Auto IMS, uh, DeFi Solutions, and FIS. We are very appreciative of their participation. And uh, I am uh, today joined by Joey Pizzolatto, the Deputy Editor of Auto Finance News. Joey, how you doing? Doing well, doing well. Good, Good to see you. It is Friday, October 23, 2020, this week. The presidential campaign entered its final phase. Remdesivir became the first COVID-19 treatment to receive FDA approval. New federal stimulus remained pending. Seems like a political fight is continuing there. Goldman Sachs uh, agreed to pay $3 billion and claw back executive pay over its role in the 1MDB corruption scandal. The Justice Department filed an antitrust suit against Google. A good chunk of third quarter bank earnings uh, are now in and the results uh, have been better than expected. Guinness, the national beer of Ireland, or at least I think it's the national beer of Ireland, has launched its first alcohol-free beer Guinness first started brewing beer in, Joey, do you know the year? 1776. 1759. Oh. Very good. You definitely get points for effort. And finally this week, the Auto Finance Summit took place. Let's discuss the Auto Finance Summit. Uh, we had uh, several sessions, obviously, and several excellent sessions, uh, extensive participation from the industry. It was held virtually, but I think overall we can say that we're pleased with uh, both the content and uh, the engagement from the industry. We hope it was a valuable event for everyone. So let's just start with that. What was your general uh, feeling, uh, what's your general feeling about the market now that you've kind of come through the auto finance summit, Joey, and heard all the speakers? Um, I mean, what's your general, where are we right now in the market and what's kind of the general expectation or, or uh, feeling about the industry's strength uh, or weakness uh, heading into 2021? Well, I would say, uh, you know, the resounding theme was one of, and I'll quote here because it, people said it a lot, cautious optimism. You know, um, we've seen a lot of, of lenders um, with still very strong credit performance, origination numbers um, specifically for, you know, Chase Bank and Ally Financial were through the roof. They posted record originations, I believe 11 billion and nine billion respectively with some change. 9.8. So it seems like, you know, car sales are picking back up. 
Um, consumers are still making payments on their loans. Um, payment deferrals and loan modifications have come to an end and a lot of consumers are either current or making payments. Um, so right now, it seems like everyone is in a good place. However, it also seems like everybody still expects that we have not seen um, peak charge-offs just yet. Um, and they're expecting that well in sometime into next year, whether it be first half, second half, um, it's still to come. So, so it really seems like, you know, things weren't as bad as they, as they were forecast to be in April. I think everyone's really grateful for that. Um, but still very much, you know, wanting to not get ahead of ourselves. And, and I think that there is a tendency on the part of some executives to kind of downplay the highs and, um, you know, under uh, uh, and, and as well downplay the lows. Um, and, and I think that this market is way better uh, today than the expectation was in April. I think you've got, I think that there is nothing short of surprise. I, I really think that the expectations for car sales, for originations, and credit performance are way better than they had expected. Um, I agree. And, and, and I would even also, even from the operational standpoint, I think that for, of all that, you know, we know we've written a lot about uh, not just, you know, the, I guess the reluctancy to adopt digital processes. Um, you know, look, it's not every lender, but generally there is a lot. I, I think that this industry is, is, uh, has, has digitized to a lesser degree than some other industries. And so the whole work from home game, my, my sense is the expectation was that this was going to be a disaster and a half. And when you've got credit performance that's not just not as bad as they thought, but better, and the entire servicing team is operating remotely, and there weren't really even contingency plans to have a, an entire servicing team working remotely. You know, this is like home run territory in a sense, you know, for, for the industry. So uh, my, my feeling coming out of AFS is that um, I, I think that there's like a bullet dodged uh, for a lot of lenders, for a lot of lending executives, um, for the industry as a whole. And, and even, I mean, don't you feel like even the, the, the forecasts for 2021 were really not, you know, it, it, they weren't recession-like? No, they weren't. Um, I mean, some of the forecasts have us back in that 16 million range um, as soon as next year, um, which is, you know, really unheard of um, when you think about you know, we talked a lot about not um, comparing this recession to the last recession, but, you know, in, in some, some uh, cases you still do. And to get back to a 60 million star after the credit crisis, I believe it took five years. Um, and to get back now, we're looking at less than a year. That, that's aggressive. Yeah. I, I think that this, this kind of like, you know, 
outperforming the expectation, I, I, my feeling is uh, strikes a bit of fear in the heart of lenders in the sense that, okay, we had an expectation of X and it's, what is it? X plus 20% or something mm -hmm. like that. And so now when we're heading into 2021 and you've got, you know, the expectation, an, another expectation, and that's for peak losses, uh, which seemed like most people felt was going to be end of first quarter, beginning of second quarter, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. know if you would. Yeah, third quarter even, and we're not seeing the, those either yet. Well, I'm talking about in 2021. Oh, so they, I'm sorry. So yeah. I, I'd say end of first quarter, beginning of second quarter. So eat, but there, I, I think the, the failure, frankly, to properly forecast uh, the, um, uh, the 2020 performance, both from a, from a origination side as well as the credit performance side, I mean, I think, you know, if you're a lender going into 2021 and you're supposed to model out, you know, peak losses, uh, you, you've got to take a bit of pause because you were pretty wrong, not just in 2020, forget the, 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 the pandemic dynamic. I'm talking about wrong within the pandemic, the, mm -hmm. the, the, between April and September, of 2020, you know, that there was, there was really a miscalculations. And so, you know, who's to say that the, that the forecasting in 2021, uh, especially on peak losses is going to be on point. Well, I, I definitely agree with you, right? Like, of course, it's great that the forecast so far has been wrong for 2020, great for the market, great for lenders. Um, but it, it should, it should um, cause a pause, right? For anybody that's looking at 2021 and trying to forecast that out, there should be a moment of pause to say, wait a second, how, how accurately can we really forecast what's happening in 2021? Right. And with what degree of certainty? Right. The problem is, Joey, is that the, the miscalculation can go in both directions, meaning to the upside or to the downside. And... I mean, the miscalculations right now are completely to the upside. Mm -hmm. Why, when you look at credit loss reserves and actual credit performance right now, I think that there is like a disconnect. I think that there is a miscalculation. I think the reserving that is going on right now probably, at least if you look at the current state of credit performance, is probably out of sync, meaning there is too much reserving vis-a-vis -vis credit performance um, right now. And, um, and that has uh, earnings implications, sure, to the upside, but you know, you know like everything in, in uh, financial modeling, you, you kind of want your modeling to be accurate or reasonably accurate, even to the upside has its own sort of implications where um, from let's say like a investment earnings per share standpoint, you've got a disconnect. You know, your, your, your valuation is, is, is kind of 
wrongly being colored by a credit loss reserve that is, it, you know, may be too steep. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side of that coin, you know, if, if lenders now think that they have enough put away and they're going to start pulling back some of those reserves, and we're already seeing that in third quarter earnings, you know, um, provisions for credit losses, they're not increasing the same way they were in Q1 and Q2. Um, so if, if the expectation is we're still going to see higher credit losses, we should have higher provisions to account for that. Right. Right. Yes. But uh, I mean, I, I think they're already out, out reserving. I mean, you, if they're not, they weren't upping their reserves in 3Q. So they're already flat on reserves, but the, but the sorry, on 4Q, excuse mm. me, reserve into 4Q. But the 3Q loss numbers, you know, they weren't even close. They weren't even close to what they were expecting, you know, back in 2Q when they, when they made all these reserves. So I, I just... I, I think that it, you, you've got a, like so many things in today's world, the degree of uncertainty just seems to amplify even though the auto finance market is in a completely positive position right now, uh, well beyond what was expected. Um, you know, back at the beginning of this uh, terrible pandemic. Let's talk about what's going on next week, shall we? Yeah, um, more, more earnings. Um, and we have a ton more content from, from Auto Finance Summit um, to, to push out. Um, so we'll be playing catch up, really. Um, we, you know, Auto Finance Summit this week kind of blocked in the second week of earnings season. So, so we'll definitely be playing catch up, um, seeing how everyone else performed in Q3. Right, and potentially maybe a little bit of a follow-up on, on a, one of the big news stories out of the industry this week from outside of the summit, which was KeyBank uh, deciding that it would leave the indirect auto finance business. Yes, that was announced on Wednesday. Um, and they're, they're leaving, um, you know, it was interesting, and my initial thought when I, when I kind of scoped out the news was that we have our first, you know, pandemic related casualty in the auto finance industry. But really, you know, when you look at it at their at their earnings presentation and you listen to their CEO talk, really it was just, you know, indirect auto being kind of like a third party, third arm lending um, structure, apparently doesn't lend itself to their relationship um, model around banks. So, you know, that's just a really fancy way of saying we want to keep you in the fold and continue to sell you products. And auto doesn't really, indirect auto, uh, excuse me, really doesn't lend itself to that, according okay. to- Okay, uh, do you want my opinion on that? Of course, I always want your opinion. Well, I don't know if you want my opinion. My opinion on that is, uh, well, that it doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, because there are plenty of auto finance companies that are deeply, deeply entrenched in uh, commercial relationships um, with uh, the auto industry broadly and auto dealers specifically, and uh, auto finance is absolutely a vehicle for relationships. Uh, mm -hmm. It may be that their that their prop their the relationship problem, as we might call it. And key, maybe that their penetration rate on floor plan financing wasn't enough and that didn't allow for 
enough of a significant a significant um, uh, financial arrangement with dealers and that started to just erode their indirect lending and meant that they just you know it wasn't it became a less viable business line but mm. to say that auto finance doesn't allow for relationship banking i'm not so sure about that not so sure but you know whatever who am i to say who am i to say i think that's a really good point because there was one telling line and i don't have it right in front of me but really i think what he was saying was that their yield which i believe was around six percent on Mm -hmm. their auto book Mm -hmm. is less than they can get in other lines of business and i think that I don't, I don't, I don't, I didn't look too far, but I mean, yields are, yields are definitely tight on, 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 on commercial auto finance uh, facilities. There's no doubt about it, but the, (laughs) but the, uh, but the credit performance is strong there. So, you know, that's, it's not, you know, yields are not the, the defining criteria. NIMS are the defining criteria, you know, net interest margins are the mm-hmm. defining criteria. So, you know, just because you have a low yield, uh, you know, gross yield doesn't mean that your, your, net, your, your net interest margin isn't worthy uh, of your asset and liability criteria. So, I don't know, treasury criteria, I don't know. But anyway. Uh, I want to thank everyone for joining us. Uh, Joey and I very much uh, appreciated your attendance. Um, and uh, we hope you'll visit us uh, on the roadmap again and, and rate us on, uh, um, on iTunes or uh, Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. We certainly very much appreciate it. And of course, we want to encourage you to visit us at autofinancenews.net, uh, where we have all sorts of coverage from the Auto Finance Summit and so much more. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Take care. Thank you.